first of all, however anybody finds creativity in whatever genre they find it in, I'm stoked. Because right now people need to use their voices more than any other time in history. And they have the ability through technology to do that. So everyone absolutely needs to be pursuing their creative voice in any way that they can. And to listen to your own true voice because that is going to be the compass that is going to move you forward in life the way that you want to be moved forward. And I would say ultimately that's the lesson that I've been trying to teach myself over and over with my poetry is to be quiet enough to hear my own voice because that voice always tells me what I need and where I need to go next. That's in cue. And this is the Ritual Podcast. Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. This is my podcast. Welcome. Okay, well, things are definitely weird. They're getting weirder by the hour. And amidst the restlessness of our sequestration, the apocalyptic eeriness of empty streets and closed businesses, the harrowing stories of healthcare workers on the front lines, the lives lost, the lives threatened, the progressive dismantling of economies and the fear that accompanies all of it like a constant companion, there is this unmistakable sense that the world has not only changed, but that it is indelibly and forever altered. And the valence of this shift remains to be seen, I think, but I'm holding space that it will ultimately serve as a wake-up call, a wake-up call to catalyze positive change, an elevation of conscious awareness, a shift in priorities, a transcendence of broken systems and behaviors that have led us to this place, ultimately to be replaced by a more elevated approach to both governance and life, a more compassionate relationship with our brothers and our sisters, a right sizing of our relationship with the material world, with our base materialistic urges, which will lead us to a greater nexus of understanding that everything is truly globally connected and a more sustainable relationship between humans and the biosphere. Amidst it all, may we find some sliver of grace. May we embrace beauty, choose curiosity over rigidity, compassion and fullness of heart over closed-mindedness and connection over isolation, even if it be temporarily virtual. Difficult times across history have always resulted in explosions of creative expression, the shared human condition writ large through art. And few people embody this ethos more thoroughly, more beautifully than today's guest, one of my very favorite people breathing air on planet Earth, a beautiful, generous, present, deeply curious, and uniquely gifted man that goes by the moniker NQ. And to know this expression of humanity is to love him as longtime listeners know well, either from our two previous 
Conversations, episodes 81 and 118 back in 2014, or more recently from our live event, which I shared with all of you guys in episode 473. For those newer to the show, it's fair to say that you are in for a most delicious treat. InQ is a National Poetry Slam champion, award-winning poet, spoken word artist, and multi-platinum songwriter who has shared the stage with everybody from Barack Obama to Eminem. Named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of the world's most influential thought leaders, InQ is also the first spoken word artist to perform with Cirque du Soleil and has been featured everywhere from A&E to ESPN and HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam. Inspiring audiences around the world through his live performances and amazing storytelling workshops, which I highly recommend if you ever have the opportunity to participate in one. I have, it's amazing. InQ's poetry, his videos have a habit of going viral, clocking over 70 million views to date. Following in the tradition of some of the world's great poets, InQ crafts verse that not only entertain, but challenge all of us to take a deep look inward and consider our place in the world, our impact on the environment, and to recognize the threads of loss, forgiveness, transformation, and belief that are woven into all of our lives. He's provocative, he's entertaining, he's honest. He's a beautiful man, unlike anyone I've ever previously met, and his wisdom and grace is coming up in a couple few. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. 
Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, so the occasion for this particular conversation above and beyond the simple fact that any conversation with NQ is a welcome and delicious treat is NQ's long-awaited, deeply authentic, and really very inspiring new book called Inquire Within that's out this week. And the book and this conversation, both of which I should add were respectively written and conducted before our world changed, is really a contemplation of universal issues, love, loss, forgiveness, transformation, and belief, themes I think we can all agree are more relevant today than ever. NQ has a very developed facility for shining a light on the human shared condition, a dynamic lens through which to think about ourselves and the world. And today I shine that light on him and oh, what a glorious exchange it is. One quick thing, Again, this conversation was recorded on February 3rd before the pandemic changed the world. 
Uh, Q was originally slated to perform a slew of live shows surrounding the release of his book this week, which we discuss in the conversation, but which of course have all been since canceled. And although a small matter in the grand scheme of what we are all managing at the moment, my heart nonetheless goes out to him for the heartbreak of attempting to birth a book, the result of years of creative toil into a world that's really crippled by events beyond our control at the moment. And yet I think his work and his voice and his words are needed now more than ever. It's a salve to our souls. So if this conversation speaks to you, and I know it will, uh, do me and yourselves a favor and pick up a copy of his book, Inquire Within. Uh, Final note, in addition to the video version of this podcast on YouTube and the two poems that he performs at the beginning and the end of this conversation, subsequent to our podcast, NQ performed an additional third poem, which we filmed, and that is also viewable as a standalone piece on my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ritual. So check that out. Okay, enough for me. Let's hear from the man himself. Please enjoy the presence, the wisdom, the experience, and the poetry flex, courtesy of my friend, NQ. We begin. Why don't you uh, kick us off? This first piece is called Father Time. I'm staring at the number wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick-tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump-thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I didn't meet my dad until I was 15. I'd seen his photograph, but his image was sickening. A coward with a dick, but no balls to back it up. See, when he left me as a kid, I had cause for acting up. The funny thing about hate is the person you hate doesn't feel that hate. You feel that hate, but wait. The weight can be too much for a person to take, and personally, I was hurt, so I just locked it away. I was angry all the time, and I didn't know why. I couldn't handle my own rage, so I would hide it inside, pretending everything was fine became a daily pastime. Time passed, and I started to believe in my own lies. I took it out on my mom because she raised me alone. The rage that I couldn't own had left me totally numb. It was like landmines in my mind that I didn't understand, so when the boy inside cried, the young man outside yelled. I think I learned about my masculinity from TV. The people weren't real, so I knew they couldn't leave me. I would sit there for hours right in front of the tube. The images that I saw were my depiction of truth. It was manhood in a box, and I bought into it. The censorship of anything inside of me that's sensitive, the sentence is a lifetime of tears suppressed in a stone face, an overblown ego they've distracted through a paper chase. Back when I was nine, I imagined in my mind 
that my father was a spy working for the FBI. And that's why he couldn't stop by, write, or drop a line. He was off saving our lives from the bad guys. But that was just a lie that I used to get by so that you wouldn't see the tears welling up in my eyes. When you're rejected by the person that you're created by, you secretly feel like you don't have a right to your life. I thought if I confronted him, then it would make it all right. But since I couldn't forgive him, it just recycled my spite. I remember meeting him for the first time. Every time a person passed by, I would ask, Mom, is that him? I look a little like him, right? No? Oh. What about that guy? And that was what it was like to meet the man that gave me my life. To shake his hand and look into his eyes. We talked till he apologized, then said our goodbyes. I walked away on my own, then I began to cry. Now, for years after that, I acted like it was all resolved. I told him what I thought, so I figured problem solved. But it just re-evolved. My insecurities were eating at my mental health. I took it out on the world because I hated myself. That's when I finally decided I needed some help. I opened up. I started writing and sharing about my past. I got honest with myself, and I started chipping at my mask. I looked into the mirror and confronted what I saw, accepting the reflection by embracing every flaw, then directing the connection into breaking down the walls by reflecting the perfection of the God inside us all. I stopped focusing on everything that I had been hateful for and started focusing on everything that I could be grateful for. And personally, there is a lot I can be thankful for. If pain is dragging you down, just cut the ankle cord. That's when the weight lifted and I really started living. That's when my hate shifted and I really started giving. It's when my fate twisted. It was like an ego exorcism. Your mind state can be the most powerful of prisons. My father never played catch with me or gave advice. But if nothing else, that man gave me my life. And that's enough for me, if that is all he could ever give. Because I'm appreciative for every day I get to live. And even though I don't need my dad to validate me, I thought that I should write this poem to thank him for creating me. Because every moment that we are alive is like a gift. And if that's not enough to forgive, then what is? I'm staring at the number wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick-tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump-thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I pick the phone up. The dial tone begins to sing. I punch his number into it and it begins to ring, 
Ring, ring. Hello, Mike. Hey, man. It's uh, it's Adam. Your son. It's all in there, man. There's a whole life packed into that poem. Yeah. And I've heard you perform it a number of times. Every time I hear it, I get something new and more nuanced out of it. And then reading it on the page is a whole different experience. I mm. was sort of, you, you probably saw me, I was like tracking it on the page as you were, re, as you were reciting it. And uh, it just continues to kind of reveal itself to Thank me. You. you know, there's a lot of layers to it. And there's a whole, like your whole, like your whole life story is basically in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it continues to reveal itself to me too. How has that evolved and changed? Because you wrote this a while ago, right? Yeah. I mean, everything that I write is really something that I need to be reminded of right. on a moment to moment basis. So <laughs> I'm doing myself a favor getting to perform these things to other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, the meaning changes as I change. I notice different things in there. Um, at the beginning, I think it was inspirational and aspirational. Mm -hmm. And now more and more, I think I'm able to embody uh, a lot of the lessons that I'm talking about, at least in that specific poem mm -hmm. and in that specific situation. Yeah. I mean, I would say the predominant theme of that is is forgiveness, forgiveness of your father, of course, but also self-forgiveness. Yeah. But packed into that is, you know, the obstacles that you had to face and overcome within yourself to get to that place. There's a humility and a, and a, um, and a, uh, and, you know, a beauty to it and, um, and a journey of transformation. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of subplots and sub themes that are at play as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's made me who I am in many ways, yeah. you know, this Gratitude. is a theme Say again? Gratitude. Yeah, gratitude yeah. and forgiveness. I mean, I, one of the main avenues to forgiveness is gratitude. You know, it's looking at something that was painful for you and uh, seeing it from the standpoint of look at everything that I was able to learn mm -hmm. from that situation. Look at who I am because of that. You know, and who would I be without that situation? I mean, I certainly don't think that I would have been a poet yeah. because it forced me to be internal um, and to observe myself and my environment in a way that uh, I don't think I would have experienced had I felt safe and comfortable growing up. But at some point, you had to grab a lifeline and do that work to yeah. get to that place. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, if, if I hadn't, then, um, you know, I think maybe it could have been something that mm -hmm. uh, buried me. Yeah rather than something that transformed me. But I would say that writing the poem and then sharing the poem has been a part of that process. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of reinforces that, that, that level of forgiveness when perhaps a little resentment creeps in or a little bit of anger. You can remember that poem, recite it in front of a crowd or perhaps to yourself. Yeah, and I think in that specific situation, I've done so much work around it, I do feel at peace. Yeah, you know, until maybe I don't. Right, but right. for the most part, when I say that, that feels true to me right now. When I think of you and how I experience you is somebody who is very present, incredibly uh, gracious, giving, 
grateful, compassionate, um, and, and, and curious. Like there's a twinkle in your eye. Like when I'm with you, like I know you're here with me. You're not elsewhere. Maybe you are in the recesses of your mind, but you're one of the most present people I know. And I know that that doesn't occur by itself. And I know you weren't born that way. Like there's a lot that has to be undertaken, I'm sure on a daily basis to inhabit that kind of headspace. Well, first of all, I have the same experience with you. <laughs> I, so <laughs> my own my own inner monologue of how I present myself is very different, I promise but you. But that's the same exact yeah. way that I feel. I think it's probably rare that you would meet someone where, you know, their complete perception and how the world views them is aligned with their personal perception yeah. of themselves yeah. Yeah. because they hear all of the noise that they have to sift through mm -hmm. in order to decide how to show up and be their best version of who they can be at that moment um, and continue to try to evolve that potential. Right. You know, I definitely do practices around that. You know, we've talked about that many mm -hmm. times from uh, meditation to yoga to having different coaches in all sorts of areas of my life that hopefully help me to continue to evolve and move towards that ver better version of myself. Right. And then I would say poetry has been a real trampoline to that in every area yeah. because it's forced me to be self-aware in a way that I would say nothing else has. Um, but, you know, even as you were saying all of that stuff, the joke that was running through my head is, oh, what'd you say? I wasn't listening, you know? <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, we still have all of those right. other internal dialogues going on. Uh -huh. And we have to almost continue to let go of them so that we can show up in the moment. In a weird way, I mean, that's what meditation is. It's like a gym for letting go. We mm -hmm. practice letting go of our thoughts and our emotions so that we can arrive and be more present. Mm-hmm. Before we get any deeper into this, I just I have to uh, just publicly acknowledge you uh, with a little gratitude for the ways in which you've shown up for me in my life, particularly coming out on the night of the the live event in LA. Mm -hmm. Man, it just it just you know put the evening over the top, and I'm just I'm so thankful that you were um, kind enough to show up and bless everybody with your gift. Thank you, man. First of all, it's yeah. my pleasure, and I feel the exact same way once again about yeah. you. I feel like you've been generous to me in you know countless ways in our friendship. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons that I love being around you is because I'm inspired to return to my own generosity mm -hmm. in that way. The other thing is I very much respect what you've built. I really do. I respect who you are in the world, how you show up, uh, and the things that you continue to explore and create for other people. So for me to get an opportunity to show up and, and to perform for your audience I mean, that's a blessing for me as well. Oh, I appreciate that. When I think about your particular form of art and creative expression, it's something that that is so difficult for me to imagine being able to do. Like it's so distant from my own personal skill set. And I was reminded of it when I was in I was in New York City a number of months ago, and I went to go see my buddy Utkarsh. Uh, perform at Freestyle Love Supreme. Oh, okay. I don't know I if you, ever, that show you caught was that show. Amazing. It just, it just rocked me. Yeah. To my core, I was literally agape the entire time, just delighted at yeah. what I was seeing unfold in front of me. And for people that don't know, it's a, um, it's a freestyle rap musical spoken word kind of performance with an ensemble cast that includes Ukar. She's been on the podcast. Um, Lynn Manuel Miranda showed up. There's a couple other cats, and they 
you know, they lob stuff out, out to the audience and they get a bunch of participation from people. And then they take these little pieces or, or facets of people's stories and in real time weave it into essentially a, you know, one act musical spontaneous performance of singing, dance, rap, spoken word mm. that just comes out of nowhere, right. you know? And it's so amazing to watch somebody watch a group of people with that level of facility perform in that manner, because it's, like I said, it's so distant from anything I could ever imagine being able to do. And although what you do is a little bit different from that, I mean, you come from that tradition, like you're very connected to freestyling and hip hop and the rap scene and all of that. So, I mean, how, you know, is it, is it, is it a gift? Is it a skill? Is it both? Like, how do you develop that ability to, you know, react in in that kind of artistic way? Well, first of all, I didn't see the show, but I heard. But you you can imagine. Was, I mean, you you have a sense of what it is. I yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. And Lin Manuel Miranda is a brilliant, brilliant artist. Um, and I've heard that the show is mind blowing. So I actually really wanted to see. I'm going to New York tomorrow, but right. I think they, they, yeah, it's over now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So. I'll have to wait until they do it again. But um, I mean, I started out freestyling. Right. It's certainly not uh, you know, the main focus of my career at this point. It's not even something that I practice on a regular basis, but that was my first form of meditation. You know, I fell in love with hip hop and you know, I just started the process of freestyling by myself and then in ciphers and then battling. And I mean, there is nothing you have to be super present to do that. Well, that's why it really was yeah. the first form of meditation for me because it's just, I mean, you cannot think about anything else but the next word and the next rhyme, you know? And so it puts you so in the present moment like nothing else, at least in my life at that mm -hmm. time, ever had. And the other thing is, is that, you know, it's almost like a, a dump of your uh, unconsciousness you know, coming out through your freestyles. And so there's this uh, a crazy experience of release when you're freestyling. And so all of the uh, maybe thoughts and emotions that I didn't have another outlet for at that time, you know, with the different things that I already discussed in the poem and other things that were going on in my life growing up, this was my mm -hmm. uh, release. And, uh, you know, it was, it was my religion at the time. Well, there was a pivotal moment in your kind of career evolution, right? That involved freestyling. What, remind me. I think you told a story when you were coming up, when you were young, where you had the opportunity to like go on stage. And I don't know if it was like a yeah. battle rap thing or whatever, but it was, it was a symbolic in that it showed you that you could do this. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? It's funny because I hadn't, I, I don't, I haven't really thought of that story in a long uh -huh. time, but yeah, I was like 15 and. I was at a club and ended up battling this guy on stage. Right. And, you know, it was just a crazy experience to watch, you know, the 250, 300 people that were there respond to something that was coming out, you know, out of my mind and out of my heart. Um, and, you know, to win. It's right. different to win, you know, on, in a cipher than it is to win on stage in front of a real audience. And I think that was a, a pivotal moment of empowerment for me. And I think ultimately that what I wound up later at the first poetry open mic that I went to, which is called the Poetry Lounge, and uh, it's every Tuesday night at the Greenway Court Theater, 
And it turned out to be, by the way, the biggest open mic in the entire country. It was mm -hmm. 350 people every single week that would show up to watch people perform their poems from signing up on a list. And I just literally showed up there one night and I started doing my rapping a cappella. And that was the first time that I had ever seen people respond the way that people responded in battle raps, for example, but to vulnerability. Mm. It was like when somebody got up and they said something that was true, the whole audience would be like, oh, you know, I mean, right. because that they connection. were, yeah, the mirror of their own humanity, you know, sharing something that was so true that it made the audience feel less alone. And there was something really uh, beautiful and powerful and inspiring about that. And I, I literally went every single week from then on. Yeah. Well, vulnerability is at the core of everything that you do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I try to be as open with myself as I can through my work because I think the more open that I am, uh, the more that it at least opens up a window for someone else's healing. Yeah, it gives people permission and a safe place to experience those emotions in their own life. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today, that's wakingup.com slash richroll. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. 
Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. That's a huge part of these workshops that you do. I did one of your poetry workshops. I think it was at the that um, conscious capitalism event, yeah, right? Yeah, do you remember right. that? I do. Yeah. I mean, I know you do these all the time. Yeah. But there was something just so magical about seeing this group of people. They're all like CEOs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you creating this like crucible of safety to allow them to explore their imagination in a way that you know maybe they had never done before and then encouraging them to you know share these poems that they would work on over the course of the afternoon and then receive the the support and the cheers and the kind of love from the group mm. was an incredibly enriching experience and i'm sure you see this you know you do this all the time so it's got to be um, just as gratifying for you as it is for the people who are participating. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really beautiful experience. And it's something that I stumbled across. I mean, I, I never, almost like anything else in my career, intended it to be what it is. You know, I certainly didn't set out and think, I'm going to be a professional poet. I mean, right. <laughs> that wasn't even a fucking possibility. I know. So what, I mean, when you're at a cocktail party and somebody says, what you? What do you do? Like, how do you answer that? Well, do I mean. Just, I'm a poet? I mean, it's equally as ridiculous <laughs> yeah. as saying you're a race car driver. Yeah. Like, people look at you like, what do you mean? You know? I think you're more likely to meet a race car driver than a poet. <laughs> I know one race yeah. car driver. So, yeah. you know, I think uh, it depends upon whether or not I want to talk about myself. Right. You know, if I say I'm a poet, usually you know, people are so dumbfounded that uh -huh. it becomes kind of like the center of the conversation. Right, you can't just go, oh, cool, and move on. Right. Right, so you're either the biggest douche in the universe. Exactly, or <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, is accurate. <laughs> you know, I'm either that uh -huh. or I'm something else, but, uh -huh. you know, or both. So you got to read the room. Yeah, like, of course. And read myself. Do, do I right. want to actually have this conversation right now? Or <laughs> yeah. do I want to just say, oh, I'm a songwriter, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I can switch the subject pretty quickly if right. I want to. But, um, <laughs> but so how I, did it come up? Like, oh, will you teach Will you teach people how to do this? Like, how did that arise? Well, you know, when I was in my 20s and I was trying to figure out how I was going to monetize this passion of mine, um, I was open to anything, mm. you know, because I was just trying to make rent. You know, I didn't make right. pretty much any consistent money until I was 30 years old or something like that. And uh, and so one of the things that I wound up doing, I had an opportunity to uh, perform and do these workshops at a place called Art Share. And uh, I just stopped by there the other day. I had to do something downtown. And it's an amazing, amazing artist, like community and commune. And they had a bunch of kids that would come in from East LA. And so for about four or five years, I would run these workshops with these kids mm. and we would explore all the things that were going on in their lives. And then I was doing Upward Bound, which is for kids that, you know, their parents had never gone to college. They were the first generation in their families that were going to college. And so I started doing these poetry workshops with them. And so originally it was just for people that 
uh, were younger and they were figuring out their lives. And I did it over and over and over again, and you know, um, uh, all sorts of different environments. And ultimately, uh, I ended up getting opportunities to do it with adults too. And I realized that adults needed it sometimes just as much or right. more right. Than, uh, than kids did. And so um, having an opportunity to provide a space for people to explore uh, moments that changed who they are in front of strangers that very quickly become family because we realize that even if the circumstances are different, the humanity is the same, mm-hmm. is been an absolute honor. You know, and people come up to me over and over again that they've experienced something from the workshop and made major life changes based on something that they explored That's through cool. their poem. And they thank me for it. And I'm like, I literally feel like all I did was provide a space for them to hear their own voice. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about that before the podcast started that technology is amazing as a tool, but there's a difference between you using a tool and the tool using you. And we're not sitting with ourselves and hearing our own voices very often anymore. And so I think that this poetry workshop is uh, a doorway into people doing that. And they're usually very surprised and moved by, by what comes up. Yeah. A couple thoughts. I mean, I think you're correct in that, you know, we do have these amazing tools with technology that allow us to create on a level unprecedented in the history of of humankind. The flip side or dark side of that is that, um, and we were talking about this previously also, is that you actually have to create structures around them in order to engage your imagination. Otherwise, you're constantly stimulated by, you know, scrolling on this app or that. And to do what you do requires, you know, I would imagine a lot of, you know, deep introspection and Mm. quiet time in order for these thoughts to congeal into words and phrases that, you know, end up coming out of your mouth or on the page. And, you know, if you're constantly distracted, you're never able to basically grapple with that, with that voice. And that's my concern for myself. Yeah. Cause I know what it's like to try to do battle with technology in order to find quiet time, but also with the younger generation that's never known differently. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the way that I even write poems in the first place is I just pay attention. You know, I mean, if something inspires me or moves me or annoys me, usually that's the beginning of a poem. And so I just kind of stay aware. And when one of those things happens, I will write it down. And if I write it down and I start the poem in a place that's true, and then I give it time and space, the rest of the poem will almost write itself. Mm. You know, I consider myself like the vehicle and the obstacle for these poems to come into the world. I mean, they come through me and through my perception, but I also have to get in the way or get out of the way, excuse me, in order for them to really show up the way that they want. And sometimes I'll write something and it's dope, you know, but it's more about me than it is about the poem. It's not right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's dope, but it's not right. So I have to go, no, this is what the poem actually wants to say. And to bring it full circle, you know, writing this book was a really fascinating process for me because because I start always in just a place that's true, I don't really strategize my inspiration. I'm not like, this is what I want to say. 
I'm usually surprised by where the poem goes because I'm just following the breadcrumbs. Mm. And so to put all of my art into this one place and to look at it and read through it myself, it was almost like I realized what I've been trying to say all of these years. It's revealing itself to you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's super interesting, right? Because when I look at the book, first of all, you know, a lot of these poems, certainly not all of them, but a lot of them I've heard you perform many mm -hmm. times, but the experience of, of reading it is very different. Of course, mm -hmm. I have your voice in my head as I'm reading it, and I'm trying to recall like your particular points of inflection and emphasis as mm -hmm. I'm doing it, um, but it quickly is very apparent that there is an intentionality in the ordering of these poems, yeah. and that um, you know a sort of character arc or a hero's journey begins to emerge. And I know you've broken the book up into two discrete kind of phases. One is about your own personal transformation, and then it kind of shifts focus to how do you use that transformation to transform the world, right? right? But they're all in lockstep with each other in this really beautiful jigsaw puzzle that I was unaware of because I've just heard you perform individual poems. Mm. And I never really thought much about how these poems interrelate to each other. Mm. But this greater sense of the whole begins to kind of percolate as you immerse yourself in the work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm really glad to hear that you felt that when you read it. I mean, the idea of Inquire Within, first of all, my name in Q is In Question. And really In Question was the second incarnation of it. The first was Inquiry. So inquire within, you know, it just kind of makes sense. And I've had that name since I was 15 years old. But it really also is the central theme to all of the content in the book. Because as we're discussing, you know, with technology, there's all these incredible opportunities. I mean, there's no way for us to quantify the ripples of even this podcast, who hears it, how they're impacted by it, you know, what you've created I mean, you have really no idea the changes that people are making or the inspiration that they feel when they continue to come back to you as an artist and listen to the things that you put out into the world. That's really an unbelievable opportunity for us to continue to use our voices in ways that no one has ever had the opportunity in the history of the world. But, you know, it's also very isolating and people are not connecting in the same ways that they used to. And they're not taking time to be on their own. I mean, we're basically trained by consumerism. I mean, everything wants something from us. It wants our money. It wants our time. It wants our attention. It wants our likes. It wants our love. And since we're always like looking outside of ourselves for the answers, if I don't know something, I look on Google, you know, I, I listen to a podcast, I go to a book. And all of these things are absolutely amazing. But as I said, it's a difference between you using a tool and a tool using you. And so just to be silent for a while and to listen to your own true voice, because that is going to be the compass that is going to move you forward in life the way that you want to be moved forward. And I would say ultimately that's the lesson that I've been trying to teach myself over and over with my poetry is to be quiet enough to hear my own voice um, because that voice always tells me what I need and where I need to go next. Well, implicit in the title, Inquire Within, is that those answers reside within yourself. Yeah. Right? And we're in a culture, as you mentioned, where everything is about externalities. 
And there's no driving force telling us, you know, affirming that those answers are within ourselves. Right. Instead, we're constantly questioning ourselves or we're unlikely to trust that voice. Right. And instead look to the experts or who does, you know, what is that guy doing or what right. is that person saying? Right. And I think that that's part of the problem of hero worship in the, in the culture as well. It's like, you know, we look at our heroes and we just project all of this shit onto them. And then we resent them when they don't live up to our imaginary projections mm -hmm. of their perfection, you know, and they reinforce it often. But that's why I tend to be uh, drawn to people who are uh, very honest about their own human struggle, because I think that's more interesting. It's more interesting for me to look at somebody who I feel like is human and is dealing with all of these different things, but is still willing to wake up every day and strive to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Because then their accomplishments are something I can look at and say, wow, that inspires me rather than something that discourages me, you know, because they're so amazing that they're almost like separate from me and I could never achieve yeah. something like that. And so I think that that takes us being more honest about all of our processes you know, um, and not just the product. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's just honesty, right? right? Everybody's going through shit. Right. It's a question of whether you're willing to be transparent about that or not. Right. Like the way that you hold yourself out to the world, we're all wearing masks, you know, and, and, you know, there's a difference between our interior lives and that which we project onto the world or what we want people to know. And, um, and I think there's a place for, you know, privacy in that regard. But I think there is something super refreshing about the person who is willing to, you know, fess up to those struggles. And and those are the people that, to me, just feel that I'm more drawn to and attracted to because of that honesty. There's a trustworthiness, I think, that comes with that. I agree. You know? Yeah, absolutely. How do you think about that as you, you know, comport yourself in public? Um, well, first of all, I I need to know what comport means. <laughs> How you hold yourself out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. on some level, you're a public figure. Yeah. You're known for your art, but yeah. you're, you know, you're in the world. And I would imagine people project onto you a certain idea of who you are and how you think about yourself is probably different from whatever that projection is. Yeah. I mean, I'm a work in progress like everyone else. And I think, um, you know, if people project onto me, it's because they maybe see some sort of a finished product in a poem, you know, and they think, oh, this is something that he fully embodies rather than something that I am embodying. Right, you're, you, know? you wrote it because you're trying to work it out for yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's fun is, you know, I get to continue, you know, it's not like I'm gonna run out of material, you know, because I'm always going to be searching for something new. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and we were talking about, uh, it was some birds that were chirping and in the background, she was like in a beautiful place in nature. And uh, we were just discussing the birds. And I was just saying, basically like the birds aren't trying to win a Grammy, right. you know, <laughs> right? They, they're not trying yeah. to go platinum. And I was like, that's the start of a poem, you know, because that's something that's moving and meaningful and interesting to me. And I still have that within myself that, you know, the things that I'm trying to create, of course, I still want to be validated. You know, I, my ego wants people to like who I am and 
to be successful and all of that stuff. But um, me striving for that validation actually gets in the way of the true communication that I want and that the poems mm -hmm. want because they were written from this moment of truth and they have a desire to be expressed in their truest nature. And so that's why I think I'm the vehicle and also the obstacle yeah. for them. How long do these poems ferment and age in the wine cellar before you release them onto the world? Like I, I, I suspect there's a gestation period where they're kind of evolving over time and that there's a window in which, you know, you allow them that space to ultimately become what they become before you share them. Is there a time frame on that typically for you? Do some of these happen really quickly? Some of them take a lot of time. And even some of the ones that you've been performing for a long time, do you make edits to them? Do you change them? Or are they just, you put them aside and say, these are finished works? Well, they've always been living, breathing documents before the book. Because this, right, this is, is the, the first time they're written down. This is literally the first time I've had a You must a have notebooks, though. I mean, you have an incredible memory. Like, you're able to recall. I don't know how you are able to do that, but I would imagine you've got tons of notebooks at home. Yeah, but before this, I yeah. transferred to writing on my iPhone, uh -huh. I had notebooks on notebooks on notebooks. But they were always, like, crossed out and, you know, impossible to read and... And so, like those Eminem, you see those notes of Eminem, and it's just like there's no room on the page and just tons yeah. of, you know what I'm talking about? Have you yeah, seen I've actually, Eminem writes in a really interesting way that I've seen when he writes on pages too, because he writes like in different pockets. Uh huh. If my memory is. Yeah, it's not is linear. Right. There's like little circles and it's all over the place, like exactly. a crazy diagram. Yeah, which is cool to see a representation of how an artist creates, you know? Um, for me, it was very, you know, big crosses out and big letters and all over the place, you know, but definitely like in a linear way. Mm -hmm. But then it was difficult to edit because I would have to go back and forth. And when I transferred it over to the iPhone, the cut and paste made my editing process a lot cleaner. You know, the poems all have a different gestation period. Um, some of them have taken six months before. Some of them have taken, you know, six hours and then I guess some have taken a half an hour and they just kind of pour out of me. Um, and they're always different. And sometimes I'll get to a place where uh, I've written maybe half of the poem and I don't know where it's supposed to go next. And I just kind of assume that I haven't lived enough. Mm -hmm. And I just go out and live a little bit more. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is where the poem wants to go. Um, and so I'm not like in a rush. I don't force it to come out of me. And uh, I do think that strategizing inspiration is dangerous because you're trying to control something that is made right. of infinite possibilities. <laughs> right. There is a discipline to what you do, but so much of it is about the allowing, right? Yeah. And getting out of the way. And, That's right. And becoming as clear of a channel as you possibly can. Exactly. So, you know, people ask me, oh, how long have you been working on this book? And I'm like, well, a, about a year, you know, but then, you know, the oldest poem in the book is probably 14 years old. And that poem took me like 10 years to write. Right. Pretty much. So yeah. I'm like 25 years, pretty yeah. much. I've been working on well, this the, book. The, the, the truest answer is it took me my whole life. Right. Exactly. 
there's not about how long it took you to construct a poem. It's the expression of a life lived. That's right. And then it's also not only the poem that's created, but the giving away of the poem, you know, the Miles Davis quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it has something to do with it took me my whole life to be able to play like myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and really truly being able to show up and, you know, give it away. You know, I think that's something, certainly I'm still learning, but more and more I'm able to really land when I'm performing. Well, that becoming yourself is part and parcel with the getting out of the way, mm-hmm. but the becoming yourself is all the work that you did to, you know, do battle with your demons and overcome these resentments and all these, you know, things that you had to contend with emotionally, psychologically mm-hmm. to become a more self-actualized human being, right? right? That would have the clarity to be able to, you know, grapple with these ideas and convey them in a in a clear manner. Yeah, for sure. So that ultimately is what I hope that the book is. I hope it's a window into people finding their own voice. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, inquire within the pages of the book. It's that I had to inquire within myself to create it and that the person that reads it, it's an invitation really for them to inquire within themselves. What's interesting and what I didn't expect reading the book is that it's almost memoir and poetry, at mm. least the first part of it is clearly. Like I was expecting, I thought like, oh, there's gonna be poems, but it's gonna be punctuated with more of your own writing, maybe expository or right. just stuff about your life to kind of contextualize um, your perspective. But it's not that. You go right into the, there's, you know, you tell little stories here and there mm-hmm. that aren't in, poetry format right. technically, but it's really you revealing yourself through these poems that you've written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it does function like a memoir in a very interesting way. And I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, we definitely, you know, we didn't want to strategize the inspiration, but we did want to strategize the conceptual through line. And I wanted there to be this poetic hero's journey in the first half. I mean, there's There's two halves to the book. There's inhale and there's exhale. And inhale is the personal journey, everything Mm -hmm. that I went through. And then exhale is more social and political. And it's the idea of changing yourself and then changing the world as above, so below. Um, And so it was definitely something that we thought of consciously in the creation of it, you know, that it would have this uh, jagged, poetic, conceptual through line and then when you add in the illustrations that it would have almost like a philosophical Shel Silverstein feel to mm-hmm. it, where people would have right. an opportunity to delve deeper into the work by looking at these images that have kind of layers of depth. Yeah, the illustrations are awesome. Yeah, who's, a guy named- Who's the artist? Musta Sharik. Yeah. This guy who lives in London, who's a really brilliant artist. And he came on and we worked with him uh, a really long time to create these images that have a deeper meaning to them. It's pretty cool. It's gotta be, I mean, well, I was gonna say, it's a unique thing to put a book of poetry out in the world, but I think poetry is kind of having a moment right now in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, You know, obviously we have Rupi Kaur's book that just like exploded the internet. And I don't know how you think about her or that book, but it's, it's proof positive that people are interested in this medium in a way that I think a lot of people would not have imagined. Absolutely, and I think it's the beginning of that wave. 
Um, I don't think it's the end. I think that poetry is going to be uh, a really huge genre mm-hmm. in popular culture, I think, in the next five years. I think so. And uh, I think it's going to be very different from how people perceive it right now. I think the possibility of what poetry can be is just kind of scratching the surface. Yeah. And I think poets are going to have their own specials and their own sitcoms and um, be on all the late night talk shows and everything like that. And I think that we need that type of voice right now in popular culture, uh, a voice that speaks truth to power, but also truth to illusion. Um, So Rupi, anybody out there who is um, furthering the art form, absolutely support them. And uh, I'm really excited whenever I see a new poet breakthrough in some way. Do you know this guy, George the Poet? Uh, I know George. Oh, you from, do? From years ago. Oh, and wow. He's brilliant. I love his art. I was just reading about him the other day uh, because he's got this podcast now. Are you familiar with this? Are you talking about George Watsky? No, this is no. His, oh, okay. He's got I like got, an African last name. He's a British dude. I don't know. George and he goes the by poet, George the Poet. I know a guy named George um, Watsky who's an incredible right. poet. You got to check this out. He's all got. Right. He's got. Uh, and he. He's. He's a very. From what I understand, and perhaps I'm butchering this because I don't know that much about this guy, but I believe that he is like a working class kid from Britain mm-hmm. who ended up going to like Cambridge. Like he's a very well-educated guy and started, his trajectory was similar to your own and then mm-hmm. he start, he got a music contract and he was doing music and hip hop and, and you know, that he was, he was expressing his art in that vein until he had a moment not dissimilar from the experience that you described of doing his, uh, you know, of doing his art in a more spoken word format and mm-hmm. it really connected with people and he's become like a thing. And he's got this podcast now called, Have you, it's called, Have You Heard George's Podcast? <laughs> and apparently, I got to check it out. I haven't listened to it yet. I was just reading about it, but he, he weaves spoken word with all different kinds of sounds and cool. like, you know, um, from nature, from technology, from music, and he creates this kind of auditory experience that right. is quite unique that people are really cottoning onto right well, now. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. So I, just I think, also like uh, ironic names for podcasts. Yeah, I know. Have you heard George's podcast? That's a great, it's perfect, that's right? a great name. I know, you know? it's very cheeky. Yeah. Um, but it's to your point of, of this medium being pushed forward and given like a modern veneer. You know, yeah. it's like- like, okay, this is what we think of poetry being. What if we brought in these other auditory elements and wove those into like this constant reinvention, you know, that we see in music all the time, yeah. but we think of poetry as a very static medium. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, and I'm excited for that. I'm excited for uh, where it is and where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for where it came from because I mean, the community that I came from was absolutely Uh, brilliant and still is. I mean, some of my most amazing art experiences were as an audience member, you know, watching Mm -hmm. other poets and being blown away by uh, them just getting on stage and the simplicity of expressing a story through um, either poetic rhythms or rhymes and just watching how other people and I was moved by that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a a difference between poetry in and of itself and the performance of the poetry, right? right? There was a day and an age when poetry existed outside of of that performative element of it. Like if you look at, 
you know, I don't know, Robert Frost, Walt Whitman, Henry right. David Thoreau, like they weren't perform as to my knowledge, they weren't getting up and doing it in front of in front of groups of people. This no, was but a, I would written, love to have yeah, I know. seen that, right? So it makes me think like if 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 that sensibility was born in a young person today, I would imagine they're gonna get directed towards hip hop or perhaps now with the growing medium of spoken word performance that they would find their their groove in that in that discipline. Yeah, I mean, first of all, however anybody finds creativity in whatever genre they find it in, I'm stoked because right now people need to use their voices more than any other time in history. And they have the ability through technology to do that. And uh, so everyone absolutely needs to be pursuing their creative voice in any way that they mm -hmm. can. Um, but, you know, for me, if I think of what you were just discussing, I mean, seeing Robert Frost live would have been fucking rad, you know? <laughs> like, Rumi, I've heard wow. in the native language, it rhymed, you know? So how incredible would that have been to see Rumi perform, you know, the poems mm -hmm. live? I mean, because I think that the rhymes are almost like a window into another rhythmic spiritual dimension. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it's not only the creation of it, it's the sharing of it. And I would say that that's uh, not only for people who are professional poets, but for anyone who's creating art. I mean, there is a completion in the giving away. There is a, a, a release when you allow it to not be yours anymore, when you allow someone else to interpret it in whatever way that they feel. And that's why I don't really have a strategy of how I want my audience to feel when they hear my work. However they feel and whatever it is that happens to them is what they need to take. And even when we were creating the audiobook, which we just finished, and I'm so fucking excited about it, man. Like both of these, the actual book, having something that people can hold in their hands and experience the illustration, and then the audiobook, you know, and all of the different voices and styles that I used in the book that are actually showing up when people can listen to it. You know, the intention of making something that people could listen to completely focused on or in a passive way, uh -huh. you know, while they're fucking vacuuming and then whatever sentence pops out that they needed to hear is the one that they needed to hear. That's what we were kind of able to do was just like combine the feeling mm -hmm. of me being on stage in front of 1500 mm -hmm. people with me talking to one person and having that intimacy still there. Um, that's what's exciting is whatever it is that people need to take, that's theirs. It's not mine anymore. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. You know what I think is cool is that 
with things like this, usually somebody will buy the audiobook or the book. Yeah. But when you were performing that poem at the outset, I was following along on the page. Yeah. I could see people doing both because they want to see it. There's something about visually seeing the words that at least for me, like help root it in mm. my consciousness. But I also want to know how you perform it, right? right? To be able to experience those in tandem. Yeah. I think would be its own unique experience as well. Yeah. And then, you know, if people take shrooms or whatever and fucking do both simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. Then that, you're just. <laughs> I mean, you are really, really be... inquiring within. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, I mean, it's not something that I haven't not thought of. Uh -huh. You know, I, I definitely, you know, like anything else, sometimes you can delve deeper if, if you get kind of into a, a different level of consciousness. And so. You know, certainly that's there's the invitation for that as well. Right. You know? When you were recording the audiobook, so I, I I assume you're just performing like you're performing the poems the way that you would in front of an audience, but you're just going through the whole book, or was there something additional that you did in that that made it special for you? Well, I would say, you know, that this experience of writing the book was the uh biggest opportunity for me to evolve as an artist. There's nothing else that I've ever done that has brought this much growth to me as a poet. And so specifically now when we're talking about the audiobook, when I first went to record it, I was recording it just like I would perform on stage. And what I realized in listening back to it is that was the wrong approach because it's not something where I'm performing to a large group of people. It's really where I'm talking to one person. Mm -hmm and really communicating with one person. So how did that change your delivery? I had to find an area in my voice that allowed me to hold on to the passion, but also to have it contained in the intimacy. And that was an interesting thing to find, but I, I really was able to find it and um, create something that I'm unbelievably proud of. You know, I was listening to it on the way over because we're just doing like last minute edits and uh, it doesn't get boring at all. I was like 40 minutes in and every single time, you know, there's a stylistic change or a conceptual change that allows you to ride the next wave. And uh, I'm really excited to give it away and, and have it be whatever it needs to be mm -hmm. for people. You had told me previously that writing this book was like the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah. Um, explain that to me because it's easy to look at the book and just go, well, it's just a collection of your poems. Right. Like, how hard could that be? Right. Yeah. And that's what I fucking and you have, thought. <laughs> you have, you've got some cool illustrations and you play around with, with typeset and font. Right. There's that one poem where it starts off really tiny and gets a little bit bigger. Like, right. you do some interesting, cool things well, that, visually. That one specifically, like, for example, that's Sound the Alarm. And so the reason that we did it, that it's very small and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger is because the actual poem gets faster and faster. Uh, so when you're listening to it in the audiobook, it's sound the alarm, something is wrong. People are tired of living a calm, but then it winds up being sound the alarm, something is wrong. People are tired of living a calm, waking up, working up, walking up, you know, so right. it's that type of thing. So we wanted to find a way to visually represent the style of how I do it live on a page. So there was a lot of just that, man. It was like, exploring my work in a way that I never had. It was editing my work in a way that I never had. 
since they've always been these living, breathing documents, that they would change as I would change. And you never had to think about how it would be presented visually. No. Right? How do you convey cadence and speed right. on a page? Right. Or emotion. Yeah. You know, how do we how do we create emotion on a page? You know, separate from the illustrations in where it is on the page. How do I put rhythm on a page? Mm-hmm. So all of those things were interesting. And then, you know, um, just me looking at all of my material and saying, all right, these edits that I'm making right now, I can't just change them in real time if I evolve. You know, I have to make sure that what I'm saying is something that, as to the best of my ability, is something that I'll stand behind in 20 years or 30 years. So I think there was a different uh, level of like intention in the final decisions that Mm -hmm. we made. Um, So I think those were two of the reasons that it was a a complicated process, um, but an amazing one. Then I think getting through the mountain of writing the book and putting it in the conceptual order that really made sense because I wanted people to have the experience of picking up the book and having the option after they read it through from beginning to end to just choosing a poem. But I didn't really just want it to be a thing where they just flipped through and looked at a poem. I wanted them to have the experience at least of feeling the poetic story that we were trying to create. So anything that was unnecessary, it didn't matter if it was a great poem, I took it out Mm -hmm. because I wanted the story to take you somewhere. Yeah, my my first inclination when I got the galley, which I know you 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 want you you want people to see like the new cover and all that. You're like a, a, a an excellent like control freak yeah, after my own heart. Exactly. Um, but before I even read a page, I kind of flipped through it just to get a sense of like how this thing is structured. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's it's basically all poetry. It's not you know it, it you know it's it's not what I thought it might be. And and then I thought, well, this is going to be that kind of book that you could crack open. Mm. But then. You know, I just go to the first page and, you know, basically you're like part one, part one inhale. And I was like, oh, Hmm. that's not going to be the way that this goes. And then you read the first poem and you're like, oh, this is the beginning of a a bigger story. Hmm. Like you're going to have to read this all the way through from beginning to end. Yeah, for sure. Like you said first. Yeah. Right. And then interestingly enough, now in the audio book, hearing it from beginning to end, that story comes through in a different way. Uh Uh-huh. So even for me, man, you know, it was like listening to it uh, was like listening to my poems for the first time. And uh, it was actually nice for me because I got a chance to um, experience them from the outside looking in. You also do these interesting things with like page breaks and where you place the text on the page, like in this growing up poem. Yeah. Was this... I mean, it's kind of an E. Cummings thing that you're doing here a little mm. bit. Um, is this the way it looks in your notebooks, or did you have did you think intentionally like about how you wanted it to look written down for the first time when you were putting? This no, together? all the formatting stuff is unique yeah. to the book. You know, when I write, I just pretty much write, and I'm much more interested in getting it out. I don't really care how it looks at that point, you know, um, and. Uh, and yet now I'm so excited about this because, you know, I'm taking my own advice finally, you know, which is that if you create something, you have to truly give it away in order to release it and move on. 
So for this to have a new life for other people, there was almost like a mini death mm -hmm. for me, but it was beautiful. And so now I'm super excited to see, well, what am I gonna create next? Mm -hmm. And now even in creating it, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, then how would I format this? You know, which is never something I even considered before. Right. In the sense, in the same way that a comic who does a special now has to kind of retire that material. Right. Because you've been, you know, doing these poems for a long time. Right. Right. Yeah. See, so time to turn the page. <laughs> I don't think I mean, that I'll ever fully retire them, yeah. but, but I do think that there is going to be a sense of release. Uh huh. Um, I already feel it. And I, I feel a sense of um, ownership. And I also feel a sense of uh, just completely giving it away. Yeah. How do you reconcile? the control freak who you know wants you know everything perfect on this car like uh -huh. when we walk we're it's a joke know, when we walked in talking about before right? we started the podcast it's like oh that's the galley <laughs> no the new book looks so much better and i wish they did with this whole thing right how do you you know reconcile that with this um the important notion that in order to do what you do you have to let go of perfectionism and be in that allowing. Like you can't let, uh, you know, that attachment to perfection be the enemy of good, so to speak, right? As the yeah. adage goes, like you have to be in the flow, right? Yeah. So there's a there's that allowing, and then there's also that like clamping down to make it just so. Yeah, I mean, I think both are important and both are necessary. And I think if we're gonna take the book as an example, there was never a, a place, and I was very, very conscious of this, where I was over-editing in a way that was actually hurting the project. And I think that's the thing that people need to be conscious of, you know, when they're thinking about the side of themselves that's mm -hmm. controlling, is there's a difference between making a project better because you have attention to detail and you're meticulous and you care about the thing that you're putting out into the world. You want it to be the best it can possibly be, to be world-class, to know that you left no stone unturned. And then actually clipping the bonsai tree to the point where it's just branches, you know? And only you will know, like anything else. But if you're aware of that razor's edge that you're walking, I think it makes the walk easier. Yeah. Yeah, it's gotta be hard though. Yeah. You know? I mean, how do you do it? I don't process? know. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had that kind of clarity to be able to articulate it. I think I have a tendency to get too caught up in tiny details that don't matter, and I lose mm -hmm. the forest for the trees. That's mm -hmm. a, like a recurring pattern that I'm always doing more with. Mm. Um, I'm okay with it in the moment. Like right now, I'm trying to be present, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this going okay? Like, what am I going to ask next? You know, like, am I going to run out of questions? I feel pretty okay, good. Okay, I got to just come back to the present because if I'm paying attention to what Q has to say, like, we're good. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? So that you is know, that something that you normally uh, go through when you're doing podcasts? Does that happen every time? Or I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, but I go into everyone wanting it to be. You know, I set a high bar for myself and right. I think I want this to be the definitive conversation of all time with right. this person. Right. So automatically I'm setting myself up for disappointment and failure. But you're also setting yourself up to do the absolute yeah, best I, that you can. That is the intention that I go into it with. But 
that pressure also can get in the way. Yeah. Because whether or not this is a conversation that's going to be inspiring and helpful to other people is in large part a function of how much I can get out of the out of the way yeah. and allow it to be what it wants to be. But it's the same thing. It's that concept we were talking about earlier. You're the vehicle and the obstacle for it because right. at all times, at literally at all times, and and me too. I mean, like for example. I want the same thing. I want this to be the definitive conversation with Rich Roll, like 100%, you know? But the reality is, is that all I can do is show up and be myself and all you can do is show up and mm -hmm. be yourself and be prepared and do our best. And then ultimately, however anyone takes this, it's not my fucking yeah, business. Yeah, it's not my business. You know, like, and so I think it's the same thing with, with the book or any piece of art that you create. Um, and if you try to control how someone else, you know, perceives you, it's a waste of energy. Mm -hmm. If you try to control how someone else takes a piece of art, it's a waste of energy. And I'd rather take that energy or that anxiety or w whatever it is, the uncertainness, the wanting to control and use it to work on something that I can control or work on something that I can create. Um, and then in that way, I think I'm alchemizing that energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just processing all of that. It's uh it's it's so much easier said than done. It is. You know? Yeah. And I go through my own ups and downs with it. Yeah. You know? I think, you know, for me, the problem, the problem is and and probably always will be like ego. You know, it's mm. like the ego gets in the way. Right. Because the ego wants you to be positioned in a manner so you will be perceived by the outside world. And then if you can do that, then you're going to get that affirmation that you think you want, that you right. need to be happy. But in truth, all you have to do is inquire within. <laughs> right? <laughs> to bring it back. I'm definitely going to put um, that on my social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to um, talk about uh, the idea like the 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 fleeting nature of life which permeates so much of your poetry mm. right um it's a constant reminder to like come back to the present and that it's the little things that matter and it's about um paying attention to what is like you told the the little story earlier about the birds like not trying to win the grammys right yeah. like that kind of encapsulates that idea that life is happening now yeah and we're so distracted from ourselves and everything that's going on around us that we miss the most important things. Yeah. I mean, nature has an ego, but only for survival. You know, like, I, for example, when you were talking about ego earlier, I don't think we can ever get rid of our ego because our ego is, it's what it means to be alive, you know, is to, is to have separation in the illusion that's what allows us to have our identity. So I think ego is necessary, but um, operating from ego can get me in trouble. And so it's unlearning that process over and over and over again. And nature can be a great teacher in that way because nature has ego for the survival aspect of things, but a cheetah doesn't care how it's perceived when it's running. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, an elephant isn't, insecure right you know what i mean so i think um 
And are, are we weirdly like the only animal that pretends to be something other than what we are in order to navigate? Right. You know, this I mean, like, Julie always says this. I don't know where she got it, but it's something along the lines of, of we're not, we're not, I'm going to butcher this, but it's, it's something along the lines of like, you know, a frog isn't pissed because he's not a bird or right. we're not angry at the frog because he can't fly. Right. You know, we, we, but with human beings, we project onto ourselves and to other people this um, expectation that they need to be something that they're not right. while forsaking celebrating what they actually are. Right, yeah. like you need to fit into this box, and, and if you if you can't, you know, check all these boxes, then you're less than. Right, as and opposed you're, to you're, like, well, what is so awesome about you? Exactly. And let's you know, focus on that. I think that that probably comes from the tribal thing. You know, I mean, in the hunter gatherer times, I think one of the main uh, sources of like death was like murder. <laughs> you would literally like <laughs> see someone from another tribe, you would just murder them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and these hundred person groups of people, you know, if you were outside of that and you had to deal with nature on survival your own or tactic. survival, man. And so we're all walking around on this like pre-programmed, you know, oh, we got to fit in. I got to make sure everyone likes me or mm -hmm. else, but you know, it's fucking boring, man. You know, we're all so beautiful and so unique and, uh, I'm just much more interested in, in following my enthusiasm to see what's next. Yeah, know? we are hardwired for tribalism. I love your short little poem about ideas versus ideology on yeah. that, which is, yeah. it's a trap, right? Yeah. Because we all wanna think or believe that we're about the ideas and we're not about the ideology. Right. And the minute you commit to being somebody about ideas, you've hence formed an ideology. Right, right? exactly. So that's yeah. the, so the story, I'll just tell it because <laughs> yeah. I tell it in the book. I was coming out of my therapist's office and we had been discussing the differences between ideas and ideologies. And by the way, this is just a separate thing, but you know, anytime somebody's like, oh, like therapy, like why are people talking shit about therapy? Like, don't you want to coach for your fucking life, man? <laughs> like seriously, yeah. like who the fuck is talking shit about therapy in 2020? It's a, it's a remnant of a bygone decade, I think. Yeah, It's man. like residue. Uh, of a past decade that looked that frowned upon that kind of thing. If you're doing that, you're damaged. Yeah, I want to call fucking for everything. damaged. Exactly. You like, know? so whatever. So we were discussing the differences between ideas and ideologies. Yeah. And this was his philosophy. He was saying that ideas are tools that you can use in your life that changes your truth and your experience changes. But ideologies are prisons that you have to force everything in your reality into the frame of. Otherwise, you'll lose control over that ideology and that part of your life because an ideology becomes a part of your identity. So then mm -hmm. if you're letting go of the ideology, you're letting go of your identity. You're fucking dying and you'll do anything to not let go of your identity, right? So then I was like, oh, well, I only want to use ideas then. And then that was the whole thing is oh, from now on, I'm only going to use ideas and then fuck, I just created a new ideology. Right, exactly. I think it's very emblematic of our current moment hmm. when you go online and we're all siloed and virtue signaling to our respective tribes and trying to be upstanding members of whatever ideology that represents. And at the same time, protesting that we are partaking in a restrictive ideology. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And it's really, it's denigrating not just 
public discourse, but and our institutions, but I think the moral, the moral and emotional fabric of everybody. Yeah, and we can't even respect people who have a differing opinion anymore. I mean, we look at them you like- You can't even have a conversation. No, that we dehumanize each other. You know, and look, there are many, many things that I do not agree with opinion-wise, you know, of different people who are out there. But also, you have to take into consideration the environments that they're in. I mean, like, and this is actually a departure of what we're talking about. But, you know, think about the poem that I did earlier about my dad or my mom. Like, my mom is an incredible, incredible human being. She's a, a school teacher that raised me on her own. Um, and yeah, you know, we have a complicated relationship, but she's layered and she's deep and she's so intelligent and she has been there for me more than anyone else ever has in my whole entire life. Um, and so I have this deep respect for her, but you know, in the time that you break apart in your teenage years, which is necessary to form your independence, you have to judge your parents. Yeah. It's a part of the process. You know, so I'm experiencing it right now. I'm sure you are. And I'm, <laughs> Trust I'm, me, happy, I'm happy to discuss yeah. that. It, it is a necessity uh-huh. to them really, truly allowing freedom is to look back and judge. But the full circle of that is ultimately you, you at a certain point realize your parents aren't God. You know, when you grow up, your parents are your God. And rightfully so. They teach you every single thing about life, including love what love even is, you know? And so you look at them like God, and then when you separate, you judge them, and then the full circle is realizing that your parents had parents, and their parents had parents, and it's this infinite line of people. And if I judge anything, my mom, I am judging her based on the life that she gave me, that I grew up in Santa Monica, California, that I have all the experiences that I have to look back on her life and separate from that. When in reality, she grew up in 1950s Brooklyn. I have no fucking idea what that was like. And I have no fucking idea what the environment of a lot of these people who have differing beliefs, you know, than I do right now in this moment is like and why they have different priorities. But the only way to find out is to actually communicate with each other and not dehumanize each other. How do you square that level of of compassion and understanding the sense of of non-judgment you know especially if you haven't walked a mile in somebody's shoes with the more political bending poems that you've done like the i mean your your poem on gun violence is like super powerful yeah thank you i really 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 want to retire it you do i don't ever want to have to do that's a poem that i want to mm-hmm. retire any of the social or political stuff i i, I hope that I never have to perform them again. I wish I never had to write them, but. Right, but you have conviction about those issues. Yeah, And you have performed them in front of, in, you know, in, in front of people. And so, you know, that's a, very, that's a very different message from the one of, you know, compassion. I mean, it's compassion in a, it's directed in a different manner, I guess I would say. You know, say. I've had people come up to me and say that they changed their uh, vote based on a political piece that I put out. And I think that now more than ever, as I said before, it is a fucking responsibility for everybody to use their voice to stand up for the things that they believe in. 
And I do think that dehumanizing other people in the process is a, a real mistake. It's a cataclysmic mistake. But not speaking up for what you believe in is an equal mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I think we all need to be speaking our minds, speaking our hearts, um, even at the risk of being wrong. You know, because there's a lot of pieces that I do that are more social and political that I know I'm going to get a part of them wrong. You know, that they're naive. You know, there's pieces I, I've done about racism, for example. I don't know that experience fully myself, so it's going to be a naive poem. Mm -hmm. But I feel that I have a responsibility to say something that I'm passionate about and something that I believe in to be a part of the conversation. Because I think the more people that talk about it, the more we can get to truth if we're actually not only talking but listening. So I not only try to put out, I try to listen to the best of my ability and find that middle ground. How would you say that you have changed or evolved since maybe, I mean, when was the last time we did a podcast? It had to be a couple I mean, years, years ago. Yeah, it yeah. was like maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. You know, um, my sense of you is that you're, you're, you're more grounded, you're more self-assured in not just your art, but in, in your life and your sense of who you are. But how do you think about that? Like, what are the things that you've kind of faced and overcome uh, in, the, in, the, in the year since we sat down last? Well, once again, that's kind of my same experience of you. Like I kind of mirror that back to you. I feel the same thing. Um, one of the things that I really liked about something that you put out recently was just you've been talking about uh, how the things that you've accomplished in life kind of happened at a later age. I remember that list that mm -hmm. you put out. And I was so, that was one of those things where it was something that allowed me to go, wow, man, I can go farther. I can go deeper. I can climb higher. And it didn't make me feel discouraged by accomplishments. It made me inspired by them. So I, I felt like you were walking the talk and talking the walk by putting stuff like that out into the world. So um, I think that's where I'm at is I think at a certain point, I thought I needed to do something or get somewhere. And I was chasing something or running from something. And I was always exploring being here, but I wasn't really here. Mm. And uh, I mean, in the past four years, I started meditating. That's been an absolute game changer. Uh, I got a bodywork coach that kind of helped me move through some of the old unresolved trapped emotion that I had in my mm -hmm. system and release it. I think that brought me more into the moment. Uh, I'm in a great relationship, you know, that really has been amazing to learn how to love and be loved unconditionally. Um, and so I think a lot of those things have helped. Yeah. And then also I think uh, having more of a sense of foundation in who I am as an artist uh, rather than wanting, you know, rather than yeah. needing, yeah. you know, just more like trusting and allowing, which is a word that you used earlier. Um, yeah, all of those things. I think we're seeing that play out with Mike Posner right now. Mm. Like this massive jump in his personal evolution mm. where he's really taken a different turn in his career, like divorcing himself from those externalities to live his life, live his life in a, in a, in a, in a different kind of intentional way, I yeah. suppose. 
And the way that he's sharing it, I think is super inspiring. But when you were, when you were explaining that, I was thinking of him, like I'm seeing that that's, that's happening in real time with him right now. I love what Mike's doing because Mike is showing his process. I mean, first of all, he's one of my best friends and I absolutely love him. He's the best. But I I also love what he's doing Mm -hmm. because he's really showing that whole process. Like he's not only showing the walk, you know, where I'm a hero and look at this walk. He showed the difficult moments. He showed what it took him to get through those moments. And that's something that, you know, all the people who are watching and following his journey, they get to mirror that back onto their own journey and find those little ways that they can overcome those obstacles in their own lives. Um, and also walking away from something that is incredibly enticing. And, and, uh, and you know, I think for most people would be difficult to imagine, like, yeah. you know, the the kind of, life that he could be living doing what he does. What is that life though? You know, like- Well, there's what we imagine it to be. And yeah. he's somebody who's experienced it. And and his sharing, like, listen, it ain't all cracked up. You know, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. And and the fact that he, you know, is talking about how, you know, it, it's not fulfilling in the way that you, you imagine it to be. There is never an end to more. No. There just is never an end <laughs> yeah. to more. And so if more How is many your super goal, rich people with tons of fancy cars do you know that are yeah. super unhappy? I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. So I think, you know, he experienced that and he decided to walk in a different direction, you know, um, in the world, but also within himself. Um, and so as his friend, it's been, it's been really inspiring. Uh-huh. And also Mike is a true artist. Like, and you know that because you've seen him in every single project that he do transform into a new moment and it, almost a new identity, not only in what he's talking about, but stylistically, because it's him following his enthusiasm yeah. in that moment. You know, if you have success, what do you do? You want to repeat it, you know, but, but who the fuck wants to just repeat something over and over again? It's just like, mm-hmm. that's boring as well. It's like, why not be surprised by your own artistic journey. And yeah, you might lose some fans who say, oh, you, you're not the person that I fell in love with, but you'll find other ones. Because if you're being honest and true to who you are as an artist, there's always gonna be someone out there who goes, that reminds me of me and where I'm at. Yeah, so how do you take that and use it to fuel your own you know, kind of constant reinvention with what you do? I mean, it's just, once again, it's just paying attention rather than trying to strategize the inspiration. You know, I I am really curious about this next stage of what it is that I'll want to do. But right now, I'm more focused and excited on just the idea Mm -hmm. of finally giving something away to the world. Birthing this thing, yeah. You know? I mean- one more idea about Mike and, and yeah. we'll move on. But but I think what, what really strikes me about him is that he's been able to really protect his childlike nature. Like there's a there's a purity to that guy yeah. that is very rare. Yeah. And I see that and I and it and I yearn for that in my own life. Like mm. I feel like it has escaped me. Mm. And to the extent that we can venture back to that place and create from, you know, from that headspace and heart space 
that we all knew innately as a child, mm. I think is is really you know a big part of what makes his expression beautiful and why it resonates. What does that look like for you? Like when have you experienced that in your life that you can recall? And what was the feeling like? I mean, it's hard to recall a specific moment like yeah. that. You know, my my memory is 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 clouded, you know, yeah. when I think back. But what I connect with emotionally is or what I try to imagine is that sense of of just childlike wonder. You know that 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 is uncorrupted by any kind of adult impulse that is standing as a barrier between you and your vulnerability, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, what do musicians do? They play. You know, when I am going to a show, I'm playing, I'm performing, and even though it's what I do for a living, and I monetized it and I have a brand or whatever the fuck that means if I lose that sense of play then um there is some sort of a gap between me and possibility you know and imagination you know so I think uh that's something that I want to continue to remind myself of as well you know not to get uh so um into the adult thing in life you know that i kind of lose that play do you consciously try to protect that i consciously try to be a fucking goofball actually uh -huh. like i really do try to create spaces that i can be a goofball and then um the other thing that i try to do is i try to do shit that i'm really not good at because it's very hard to be cool when you're not good at something, uh -huh. you know, it's like, whatever. If like, if I go rock climbing or whatever, I am not going to be fucking cool <laughs> when I'm doing it. And, uh, if you're going to make all those people in the workshop, get up and recite a poem, then you yeah. got to go out in the world and do something that is way, you know, far afield of what you're comfortable doing. No, totally. Because in, you can't in, talk that talk unless you're walking. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and and I and so I like doing things like uh -huh. that, and that's one of the reasons actually that I love like traveling by myself. I travel often by myself, and uh, one of the reasons that I love doing that is because I get to show up in a place where no one knows who I am. The language is different, the food is different. I don't know the streets, and I don't even have a friend or a partner mm. that knows my story or my identity. So it's almost like the clearest mirror that the world can give you to how you're showing up in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not in queue. I'm just some fucking dude, right. Adam, who's like wandering around the world. And I sometimes get my best ideas from that because I'm in that uh, place of forced play. Um, and I try to then bring that back to my life, you know, in different activities that I do as well. Henry Rollins talks about that all the time. Mm -hmm. He's oriented his whole life around that very thing, like mm. traveling to remote corners of the planet, not places you would go on vacation, but right. like really off the beaten path places most people don't want to go. Yeah. And he just shows up with a backpack and nobody knows him. And he doesn't, he goes alone because he wants to have an authentic experience. And yeah. That's how he can connect with himself. And I'm sure it informs, you know, his version of what you do, like his art. Yeah. I mean, I, I love his art as well. I mean, it, it's, the world is so much bigger than your insecurities. Yeah. It's so huge, man. 
you know, and being in it is what a wild fucking ride this is, you know? One of the things I've noticed about you and how you live your life is, is you seem to be very conscious about surrounding yourself with high vibe people. Yeah. Like you got a solid crew. Great crew. That you roll with. Yeah. So how did you, how did you go from where you were to that place? And, and did that just, these are just people who became your friends or was there a concerted effort like, hey, I need to really, you know, be conscious about the vibration of the company that I keep? Well, I think it's like anything else, you know, you're attracted to the frequency that you're putting out. So I think uh, the more that I focused my own frequency, you know, and cleaned up my own energetic field, which I'm still doing, you know, uh, the clearer that my frequency was to attract somebody else who was maybe on that same path. So most of the people that I spend time with are seekers. I don't give a shit about success. I mean, that's cool, you know, but I'm, I certainly don't give a shit about money. Mm -hmm. I care about somebody being a good person and I care about them striving to be a better version of who they are on a day-to-day basis and to seek to ask questions about themselves and the people that they spend time with and their environment and humanity as a whole. Um, Those are the things that really light me up. And then when I get a chance to be around other people that are uh, pursuing that seeker's mentality through a different discipline than me, they have a different perspective to share with me. Um, Whereas, you know, I have amazing, amazing poet friends that continue to enrich my life in every possible way. But we do have a similar lens that we come from. Whereas, you know, when I'm talking to somebody else who does this or, you know, does that, and I have really no sense of that in an experiential way, they usually give me a different tid, tidbit that mm-hmm. makes me walk away and have a, a different perspective on my own life yeah. and where I can go. What does that seeking look like? Like, what is the, what, you know, what would be like a practical example of a friend of yours who is a seeker? Like, what, is, what are the characteristics of that human being? Um, well, we could take Mike, for example. We could take you, for example. I mean, uh, it's somebody who is striving, you know, to move forward in life and to be present in life. And I think that is the dichotomy of the modern monk, whatever mm-hmm. that even means. I, I have never said that before. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't, wow. uh, don't make that my Instagram. We just found title. a t- we found a title for this podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Q is the modern. Oh monk. Jesus, no! But the but the but really, I mean, when you're sitting on a mountaintop and you have no goals, you know, and you just want to be present. Being present is your only goal. I mean, what an amazing life of service that is. I think that's really really beautiful. It's something that I look at and I'm like, wow, I really respect that and I admire it. Um, but that's not the life I'm living. You know, there are things that I want to accomplish. And uh, so it's basically balancing those two worlds of what I want to accomplish and also knowing that there's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I would say that all of my friends who are seekers uh, usually are balancing one foot in one of those worlds and one foot in the other. Right. It's more about the relationship to the achieving, right? Mm. The difference 
being one that is ego-fueled versus one that is sort of fueled more by a sense of service or purpose-driven. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that I responded to that post that you made. It's that when you get to be a certain age, you know, you're supposed to do this and do that. Everything is so almost like robotic, you know? And, and Well, you're just kind of who you are. Like this is, the, now the dust is settled yeah. and this is the way that it is. But just for purposes of clarity, how old are you now? I'm 42. 42, yeah. all right. Well, we've known each other for a while and yeah. I can promise you that the person that I was, you know, at 42, 32, what, you know, I just, I'm coming up from the rear, man. So I'm I'm trying to make hay while I can. Yeah. Like I'm a I'm very much a late bloomer in that regard. Uh, so it's not like oh I'm I'm this model example of of constant you know um, uh, reinvention so to speak. It's just that I was you know completely you know in my own way for a very long time. So I didn't begin this process until much later. Right. But two things. One thing that's funny is I'm not 42, I'm 41. Okay. Which is exactly You're the whole liar. point. What the Who fuck? Cares? Who cares? <laughs> it's I literally got it wrong <laughs> yeah. right now. Uh-huh. You know, I was getting a haircut the other day and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was thinking, "Wow, I am one haircut closer to death." <laughs> you know, and it was actually funny uh-huh. to me. It wasn't like a you know, because that's a weird moment of, you know, uh, checking in. Every single time yeah. you get a haircut, if you took a picture, you'd look at yourself in the mirror and you'd be a little incremental and accumulatively, but yeah. significantly o- older o- over time. And yet there's so much possibility because everything that you just said, it's like, wow, what, what you've accomplished up until now, but what will you want to do tomorrow? I mean, there, there isn't, yeah, the dust has settled, but in another way, you're going to kick all the dust back up again and reinvent yourself. And I'm curious who I'll be when I'm 70. What will I dress like when I'm 80 years old? Mm-hmm. You know, like what will I be interested in? What will I be curious at that point? And there's so many people that I think feel trapped by the lives that they've created for themselves. And I'm saying that as one of those people. I, I can relate to that, but I always want to undo that so that the the things that I'm choosing to do are not obligations. You know, I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some responsibilities based on the life that I've created, but it's not that I even have to make a different choice. It's that I have to understand that I have the choice to make a different choice. Yeah. I think that that it's important to understand that even if you're living a great life, you can still be a prisoner of that life it, you, because it, we come, totally. we, we become so habituated to whatever routines are comfortable to us right. that we perpetuate them and becomes hard. I will say, as somebody who's 53 and I am 53, I'm being <laughs> honest about that, uh, that you do become, you know, the calcification becomes harder and harder to confront and and overcome right? Because we're creatures of habit, right? Mm. And when something's working, you keep doing it. And it's a discipline to continually confront those patterns and ask yourself, like, is this serving me? Or even if it is, let's redirect, you know? Right. And, and, you know, I've been doing, like, 
this show is an example. Mm. Like, well, I guess I'm a podcaster and I do this. <laughs> like, I actually have a choice. This could be the very last episode that I ever do. I, that right. choice is available to me. Yeah, that's Probably right. not going to make that choice. Right. But just to remind myself that I don't have to keep doing this. Yeah. And just because there's a lot of momentum behind it doesn't mean that it's a foregone conclusion. You you could decide that you're just never going to write a poem again and you're never going to perform again. I don't have to be a fucking poet. You and I Mike, are, you and Mike are just going to go hike mountains. Well, you can now. join us. <laughs> right. It'll just be a musician, yeah. a yeah, ex-poet, ex ex-musician, ex-podcast. Yeah. You know, what the fuck? We're, we're, you know, I mean, it's not that we have to make a different choice. It's that once you know uh -huh. that you are making the choice, you're not a prisoner of it. You have the freedom to look at the reality that you're in in a different way. Right. Um, and so I... I am curious. I mean, I know that that calcification process uh, has happened and I know that it will happen more, but I also know, you know, I could decide I want to go river rafting tonight and I could just leave here and go, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's more interesting to me to look at my life like that because there's more possibility. Right. With respect to the book, we talked about how somebody's reaction to your art is none of your business. And, you know, once you kind of put it out into the world, it becomes public domain, right? It's, it, you, you, are, you are relinquishing ownership over this yeah. piece of work, right? At the same time, I still imagine that you have a sense of what you want people to take away from this. So if you had to articulate that, what does that look like? I had a friend once that um, said, only you will know. That was like one of her mantras when I would be discussing something or she would be discussing something with someone else where they had that specific issue they were working on. And, you know, she would talk it out with them. And then at a certain point she would say, only you will know. And I think that's what Inquire Within is about. So this is supposed to be a doorway for someone to connect with that inner voice within themselves. And um, I hope that they wind up uh, finding whatever it is that they might not have even known they were looking for. Mm. And uh, that that leads them to a more fulfilling and empowered life. So these are broad things that I think when someone picks up this book, I don't have anything specific because I think then I would be confining people, you know, to what I want rather than whatever it yeah. is they need. I look at it, so much of what I get out of it is, is permission, right? Mm -hmm. Permission to be vulnerable, permission to forgive. Like, I think a lot of people were, 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 were victims of these emotional loops that we run that are playing these tapes around who we resent, how we were wronged, right. and 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 we're the ones who are suffering as a result. Right? Totally. And and here, there's there's a sense of freedom that you explore by giving yourself permission to forgive those who have wronged you, by um, by engaging in self love, right? And you see this evolution from somebody who was in pain and who has been wronged and who has suffered to this freedom and this lightness that comes with gratitude and love and forgiveness. Yeah. And life is really fucking beautiful, man.
I mean, it's hard, it's painful, but it's beautiful. And I want to be living in that curiosity, living in that beauty, living in that possibility. Um, and this book has been my roadmap to yeah. getting here. I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Great. I want to end with a poem, but before we do that, um, do you, I presume you're going to go on a book tour and do the whole rigmarole with all of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything that gets baked into that, including Great word. podcasts and stuff. Um, are you going to be performing? Yeah, we're yeah. doing uh, a big show in LA at the Palace. We're doing oh, cool. a big show in New York, uh, a big show in San Francisco, and then We'll do like DC and Seattle and a bunch of different cities. So we'll do these public shows. Um, and then I think we'll do different bookstores and things of that nature as mm -hmm. well. And then we'll do a longer tour in the fall. But I have a bunch of videos that are going to be coming out as well around this. And, um, you know, really excited for people to experience the book and the audio book. And look, self-promotion has been probably uh, the least thing that I enjoy and the least thing that I'm good at in uh being a brand whatever that even means uh -huh. you know um but i'm not uncomfortable promoting this book like it's actually been a joy because i see it as a separate thing from me and i i know that the book wants to have a life of its own and wants to get into as many people's hands as it can or as many people's ears as it can so this is a fucking exciting process for me to get out there and spread the word. Well, beautiful and well-earned. Thank you, man. You're you're doing the tour with Conscious City Guide, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. with Mel, who with I Mel. actually met at the event that uh -huh. you did. Yeah, she's the best. She's awesome, man, yeah. so thank you for that. Yeah, of course. She's been producing our retreats forever, and what she's built with Conscious City Guide is really quite something. So yeah, and very, very aligned. Yeah. 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 She gets a job done. For sure. Yeah. It'll be cool. Um, well, super excited for you. Uh, pick up the book, Inquire Within from independent bookstores. If you don't have one, go to Amazon, all that good places. Go to, um, what's your website? Is it in.q.com? It's in-q. In -Q. In question. So in-q.com. And then, you know, all the all social the media stuff is in Q Life. Right. Take us out with a poem. All right. This is called Learn Fear. Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, receiving since your youth when your choices weren't even yours, perceiving was the proof, but reality has many doors, so why are we still fighting other people's wars? Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating, repeating, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, and you can't tell the difference because it sounds the same. But trust me when I tell you most of what you think is from somebody else's brain. They have us trained, shackled by imaginary chains. Imaginary rules for imaginary games, but they don't know the reasons either. So where should we place the blame? And who is they anyway when we're all the same? Our parents had parents, and their parents had parents. 
Apparently, it hurts to see, so I'll be transparent. The world is so much bigger than your insecurities. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. The world is so much bigger than your culture or community. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. Because if it's all a story, then nobody else can tell it for me. Since I'm always transforming, I defy a category when you do the same thing the same way. It's habit forming, but nothing in this land of mortal man is mandatory. It's all just transitory. Our world's a laboratory. Experimenting on today can change tomorrow morning. And since matter is mostly empty space, we're in a sea of consciousness where the boundaries are erased. So I stared at my reflection until I couldn't see my face. Then I picked myself and put the flowers in an empty vase. If you came for validation, then you're in the wrong place. The only certain satisfaction is becoming what you've chased and there's no running from the inner voice. So it's important that you choose, but it's more important that you know you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you living someone else's life? You have a voice. Does it haunt you in the dead of night? Would you fly if you weren't convinced to be afraid of heights? And who convinced you anyway? They had no fucking right. Right? No one can dim your light. You shine within so bright that you could blind the sun from sight and scare him back into the night. No one can dim your light. I said it twice because you're greater than the circumstances that surround your perfect life. You're not your nature or your nurture. You're a prototype. And if you hone it right, eventually you'll hack your satellite. At first, it's nothing. Then nothing turns into a whisper. Turn the dial and it gets crisper in your transistor. Wait a while and the whisper turns into a scream. It overwhelms your system and you won't know what it means. But pump the volume up and it can tell you all your dreams. Till pretty soon it's the only voice you'll ever need. Now all you have to do is listen when you want to lead. Your fear disintegrates when you decide to stop and breathe. It's your authentic voice. No matter where you go, it never leaves. And that's God, no matter what religion you believe. I'm starting my own religion, and everyone is welcome, but nobody can join. If you did, you'd miss the point. Love you, man. Love you too, brother. Thank you so much. Stay true, dude. You too, bro. Peace. Are you totally enamored? I don't blame you. What's not to love about that guy? Also, kind of a beautiful break from the incessant coronavirus news that we've all been 
perhaps overly consuming at this moment in time. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Do me a favor, hit up NQ on Instagram and Twitter at INQ Life. Let him know how this one landed for you. Please check out his book, Inquire Within. It truly is a timeless work of art. And don't forget to visit the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com to learn more about NQ with copious links to his work and wisdom that will keep you occupied with high vibe content during this time of home isolation. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, subscribe, rate, and comment on it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media, and you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today, Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing today's podcast. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Allie Rogers for portraits. In addition, she directed and edited the standalone poetry piece by NQ that you can find on my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash rich roll. DK for advertiser relationships and Georgia Whaley for copywriting and theme music by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Thanks for the love, you guys. Hope you're finding yourselves safe with your loved ones remaining connected despite our geographic separation. And I will see you back here in a couple days with another great episode. Until then, may you invest in your creativity and express your unique voice because we need all of you to be more of who you really are now more than ever. Until then, peace, plants, namaste. (laughs) 